Keep chopping wood. <laughs> we got Chuck. Yeah, we do. We got Charles, Chuck Pagano on the opposing sideline this weekend. Keep chopping wood. Insert your gifts with the axe going into trees and whatnot. <laughs> uh, Colts, Bears, Sunday, 3-0 and Bears, 2-1 and Colts. Uh, two and a half point, I think, is the last I saw Chris Presley of yep. the favorite for the Colts. Interesting line, certainly. Um, yeah, we got a lot to get to on today's Kevin Kevin's Corner. Sorry we're coming a little bit later in the week. Uh, we're taping this relatively early Thursday morning uh, because it got called into emergency bullpen duty yesterday for JMV, so apologies there. Chris Presley is rocking his Braves hat. I just witnessed one of the more... <laughs> Um, really one of the more devastating playoff losses you'll ever see. It was brutal, and I just want to say this is – I'm not wearing this to taunt you. I'm wearing this because I wore it yesterday, took it off during the game because I was in the office, and around the 11th or 12th inning Gosh, was like – you believe in that stuff. I'm like, okay. Oh, as a former baseball player, I'm so superstitious. Yeah. So it's like, all right, I'm going to put the hat on. Maybe this is going to change things. It was still ugly. Got the win. So it's like, okay, got to wear it again today. Incredible. Incredible by the Reds, just uh, base running like little kids at Victory Field. Once the game's over, that they get to go on the field and run bases and just—I <laughs> mean, a good it analogy. was an absolute joke. Uh, Eleven hits, yeah, whatever. Uh, Three-game series, regroup, pray. Luis Castillo, thank you, Sonny Gray. Please, we'll see. Um, but let's get into it. Okay. I would say the biggest news item of the week, uh, probably the Michael Pittman injury. Unfortunately, we didn't have a chance to touch on that on Monday, and obviously. Kind of a crazy story. I don't know if you've ever heard of anyone that's ha- that lower leg compartment syndrome, but I've not. Damn. No, it's one of those, and I've told you before. I, I have a couple friends in the medical field, and naturally, when injuries happen, they'll either text me during the game and say, "This looks like this. This looks like that." And I texted one of them once I saw what that was, and I said, "Hey, I've never heard this. What's this mean?" He said, "Ah, you know, probably out a couple weeks, but that's just him. Obviously, yeah, yeah, NFL is yeah. no. different." But, I mean, it seems like a couple weeks for him. Obviously, it's a crazy just scenario with the injury of he gets hurt on that in cut kind of late second quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pierre Desir, I think, was whistled for maybe there's another flag on the play, but Desir was guarding him, and then Pittman goes to the locker room, comes back and plays, and had a couple catches in the fourth quarter, and then got home and very wisely alerted the athletic training staff of his symptoms worsening and whatnot. So some trauma in that leg, and basically just got to – Cut it open to get it out, as yeah. graphic as that sounds. But uh, it was done, and uh, yeah, that injury to me, Chris. Uh, we'll get into this more in Twitter questions. We have a ton of Twitter questions to get to today. But I went back and watched all the third downs the Colts have had this season offensively, and I forgot maybe just how much Philip Rivers looks to Michael Pittman mm-hmm. on those third downs yeah. as that outside. Wide out, running some underneath stuff, basically just utilizing the six four frame in the sense of um, that corner is not going to get in between me and Philip. Yeah, right, and he's been relatively consistent catching the ball on third down, even in the red zone a little bit. So I think that's where you're going to miss him. You're also, I think, going to miss him just because he was starting to develop into a guy that plays a whole lot. I mean, T.Y. Hilton's snap counts are really down. They are. If you look at the first three weeks of the season. And Pittman, when he goes on the field, it's kind of like, all right, we're not tipping our hand. He's 6'4", 220. He's going to block his ass off and, mm-hmm. and, and has shown that early on in his NFL career. So I think that's where 
now it's all of a sudden of like, do you trust Reese Fountain as a blocker? You know, do you trust Ashton Doolin? You know, where Desmond Patman? We haven't seen him right. you know, play in the NFL yet. I liked a little bit of what I saw from Patman in camp, but I didn't love the college film and just his readiness day one. I thought it was a very raw prospect. Uh, obviously, you've got Marcus Johnson on the practice squad, a guy that I've always liked. I, I think that would make sense to call him up. Uh, Christian Hogan, we saw signed yesterday as yep. well. Uh, but I tend to think if and when you get healthy at tight end, which is more of a win, I would use those tight ends a whole lot. You know, Burton, Ali Cox, Doyle. Um, I would use them as kind of that bigger body presence, which is certainly somebody something that Philip Rivers loves and has used throughout his so much of his career. But, man, you look at this wideout death chart, and it's like, dude, <laughs> it's it's looking like last year at times. Yeah. Just a bunch of guys. But it's I, outside of Hilton, obviously. But with the tight end, to your point, that's what the Colts have been doing this season. And even when you look at the what they call the chunk plays, a lot of the bigger plays that the Colts have had have been to the tight ends. No, it, it's a great point. Mo Ali Cox leads the league by a lot in uh, tight end yards per reception. I yeah. think it's like a, I don't know, like a, at least a four or five yard lead. I want to say. Um, so that's a great point. And and you know Burton was so reliable for Philip Rivers throughout camp. I don't know if he'll play on Sunday. Uh, again, we're recording this super early on Thursday. But, um, you know, you got to see Hines, I think, a little bit more. And, and flat out, Hilton's just got to give you more. He he does. And I know the attention's going to rise and all that. But, I mean, we're now 16 games mm-hmm. without a 100-yard game from T.Y. It's just it, it's rare to see. And fair or not, I get the whiteout group is you know, pretty scarce right now. Zach Paschal will certainly continue to play. A whole lot of snaps for you, but man, you just really need Hilton to emerge and and, and be that alpha in that group. Um, but to replace Pittman specifically, sure, a little bit more of Fountain. I was surprised Doolin played as much as he did last weekend as well. Um, I would call up Marcus Johnson and I would use those tight ends. Yeah, uh, you know the multiple tight end personnel groupings. I think are an absolute must. And, you know, you can still be creative with that. You can still be very unpredictable with that. You might not be as flashy laterally not having Paris Campbell or, you know, have, you know, a guy that you can maybe send down the field a little bit more in in Pittman. But I still think that tight end group is really where you got to tap into it. Absolutely. All right. Twitter questions? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you said, we got a lot of them. We got a lot. But they're good. Always uh, good. Let's hop into these, and then we'll do three keys and the uh, Bears prediction. Cool. First one is Forged in Blue. What's your opinion? If Fountain balls out like they think he can, Big Mo continues looking good, and Pittman and Paris come back looking good, do you see any way that the Colts do not resign Hilton? Boy, that's a lot of contingency plans mm-hmm. that have to turn out good. You know, first off, is Paris Campbell going to play? You know, the rest of the season. You know, the Colts are still holding out hope, but I don't think that's a slam dunk. And if he plays, is he going to show you enough? And, and same thing with Michael Michael Pittman. You know, if Michael Pittman continues to have the sort of production he had the first three games, you know, three catches for 40, four catches for 38, you mm-hmm. know, whatever those stat lines were, do you project that of like, oh, that's just scratching the surface? Or do you project that like, that's what he's going to be? You know, it, it's, I don't, I always said this about Hilton and the whole re-sign debate. To me, more so, it was just, what are you going to see out of Pittman and Campbell? That, I thought, impacted things big time. Now, obviously, Hilton is going to play into it a little bit, and you do need to see a little bit more with him. But, 
it's just like who's that number one wideout next year? Right. Yeah, I don't know. Mo Ali Cox's emergence would have anything to do with a T.Y. Hilton. You know, maybe fa- certainly if Fountain makes some huge jump, yeah, which I'm not expecting, that would impact you as well. Um, and I know again, Hilton's been quiet here, but I don't have any confidence in. I like Paris Campbell. I like Michael Pittman, but I on October first, I can't confidently say <laughs> they're going to be number one wideout for you next season. And I don't know if I want. Whiteout is still going to be a need, but I don't want it to be that pressing of a need. So I still look at Hilton, and I'm like, I don't think it's physically. Again, he had a couple chunk plays on Sunday. That was a nice step in the right direction. Um, certainly you need the raw numbers to start to change, mm-hmm. but no, I'm not, I'm not ready to write off T.Y. Hilton. I know we have a lot of these, so I'm, I'm just going to piggyback quickly. The quarterback signing next year as well also dictates re-signing Hilton, correct? Money wise, or just yeah. chemistry money wise, chemistry wise, yeah, all you know, that. all of that, yeah, all of that certainly factors in. It just like there is a level of attention Ty still commands. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a level of, and I'm sure Chuck will probably double or have some sort of plan in place to try and limit Ty this weekend. Mm-hmm. So he is at least, oh, that's a name, and he still is producing to a degree. Whereas Michael Pittman, Paris Campbell, they just aren't there yet. So, um, yeah, as of right now, I mean, I'm probably bringing him back. The market value and all that, that's obviously going to yeah. change a whole lot. This one comes from Steven. He asks, what do you think about trading for A.J. Green? I don't think he's an el- he's elite anymore, so we might be able to get him cheap, especially since he's on a contract year, and it seems they're feeding their younger receivers more. You know, Steven makes a lot of good points here, a lot of good points. We saw um, T. Higgins certainly has been mm-hmm. a guy for them. Tyler Boyd, um, boy, there's another young white out there. They keep on playing. We saw John Ross as kind of a healthy scratch. So, yeah, I mean, it definitely makes a lot of sense, but y- you know what I'll, I'll say. I just hate giving up picks. Right. I do. Until you have that long-term quarterback situation figured out, you know, I, I want that draft capital there um, to be able to move up for that quarterback. And where is A.J. Green right now? You know, is this Andre Johnson? I know he's not at that age, True. but the injuries ha- have been there. And if you're giving up a third or fourth round pick or whatever you'd be giving up, you got to expect some big time return for you. So certainly there's a need at wideout. I, I, I will not, you know, obviously t- disagree with that, Stephen, by any means. And this this sort of deal would make sense for both sides to a degree. But, man, a lot of it would depend on that draft capital. This one's from Roop. We saw Jonathan Taylor struggles running between the tackles the first few weeks. What do you think Wright can do scheme-wise to make the run game more efficient and explosive? Even though JT doesn't have much experience catching the ball in the backfield, I think it would be great to get him out in space, showcase his speed, and big playability. Thoughts? Yeah, I think I think that's a great point. I'm very surprised that we haven't seen many screens, if any, since week one. Yeah. And certainly Taylor. You know, he just seems to be a guy that you get him in the open field and allow him to get downhill with whatever, three or four yards of open space, <laughs> good luck. Right. That's what it seemed like week one to me. So I fully expect that to be in the game plan at some point again, and you and you tap into those things. Um, but, you know, I guess what can Wright do schematically? You know, I'd like to see more of just the two-back kind of misdirection stuff of the ability to maybe get Taylor outside the tackles 
just to showcase more of that speed. It seems like in between the tackles right now, twofold. The run blocking has got to be better. It has not been up to par, especially in short yardage situations this season. And I just don't know if Taylor, and admittedly Taylor has said this, you know, his instincts, his pre-snap reads, those are some things where he's got to improve. And I think that gets into kind of the vision debate we had a little bit on Monday as well. Um, you know, can you run a draw? I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like you know, sort of delays mm-hmm. to where you get him a little bit more of daylight to where he can really rev it up and get to that zero to 60 a little bit quicker than he is right now because it, it is surprising. Taylor, I think, has done a lot of good for you here in the first three three weeks. But, I mean, I'd be shocked to see probably 50 guys in the league have a longer rush than him right now. You know, it just if you had told me he's had the amount of carries that he's had, I would not have expected that. But also, how much of it do you think plays into the fact that early in the year, we've talked about it numerous times with this schedule, maybe they're not trying to show their hand as much with the play calling for the back half of the year when they're playing tougher opponents? Yeah, to a degree. I think that's dangerous in the NFL because, I mean, hell, you already lost week one. You know, no, I, I don't want to be like, you know, are you holding things? I, 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 I do think there's an element to you set things up for later in the year. A lot of window dressing stuff of when this personnel grouping's on the field, we're going to show this in September, and in November, here comes the wrinkle off of it. Mm-hmm. So when you're scouting us, it's going to look a little different. That That I agree with, but... I mean, again, from like a screen standpoint, it works so well for you week one. Yeah, you haven't needed it in week two or week three because you've always have been ahead. But I think for this offense, there's got to be some element of Taylor's hitting on more chunks, and then eventually you're going to have to get to the vertical. Yeah, My guy can get behind your last line of defense. And maybe that comes off of the play action. You know, obviously T.Y. had the big play that he dropped in week two, but I think those are just a couple of missing elements right now for this offense. This next one's from Gary. After three games, would you rather have Fitzpatrick for $11 million and perhaps another weapon on offense or defense or Phillip Rivers for $25 million? Second, the receiver cupboard cupboard <laughs> is getting bare again. If we want our best players on the field, why don't we want Hines in the slot rather than a borderline roster player? Yeah, Gary, I am taking Philip Rivers for $25 million. I think we might just be looking at Fitzmagic on Thursday night and being like, oh, my gosh, he's great. He's doing it again. Like, there's a reason he's played for all those teams. There's a reason he's, <laughs> I mean, I don't know his starting record. There's no way he's sniffing 500 football as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Um, very good spot starter. Yes. And that's about it. So uh, I get it. You would say $14 million with that, but – Philip Rivers has done a lot of good for you early in the year. If you if you really wanted to save money, you wouldn't have a twenty one million dollar cap hit on your backup. True. Um, true. So I mean, there are other areas where you could you know penny pinch if if you're really looking that. But um, Philip Rivers is a fourteen million dollar upgrade over Ryan Fitzpatrick. That is not a debate in my eyes at all. Um, as far as the receivers, yeah, I mean it's a fair point about Hines. Um, Especially now with Pittman. Right, and, and, and I keep on coming back to that. I'm like, okay, I know Hines is in the same body type, but you are a little bit barren at wideout mm-hmm. right now. So um, I am curious to see what that uh, role looks like for Hines now when, you know, theoretically you're without your number two and three wideout for potentially yeah. to the bye week. This one's from Ben. It seems like Frank in this offense, 
Frank has this offense ready to go at the start every game this year. Are Frank's first set plays the best in the league to this point of the season? Well, Ben, I mean, impossible for me to answer. I, I can't sit here and act like I watch every team's first quarter plays. You know, I, I watch the Colts, and they've been damn good mm-hmm. on their opening series, so I will say that. Uh, I think Frank is scripting things extremely well. I mean, you had the no-huddle touchdown to start the uh, – Jacksonville game, you moved it great week two, and Mo Alley, the ball just bounces off him. You're picked, and week three, you had a touchdown opening drive. Pretty sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Mo Alley uh, had that touchdown, I think. So obviously, you you've moved it great. Seems like good drives. Seems like Frank's scripting things well. So yeah, I, I would rank him right up there. Mike wants to know, what do you think the odds are that the next year's starting quarterback is on the roster right now? Next year's starting quarterback yes. is on the roster? Mm-hmm. 90%. Yeah. I mean, I know it's a one-year deal, but I mean, what have you seen from Rivers in the first three games that make you think he won't be brought back and he doesn't want to play football, all those things? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I would say extremely high Michael and cash considerations both had questions regarding the quarterbacks that we're going to see this weekend or at least a quarterback and the question is now that we know we will be facing Foles instead of Trubisky on Sunday how radically different could the defensive game plan be yeah though that's a good question obviously Frank Reich's history with Nick Foles is well documented um, mm-hmm. basically more of a deep ball I think you could see some read option stuff, not necessarily Foles moving with his feet, but just kind of like the Rivers read option stuff that we see here. Um, And and Frank's very adamant that Nick Foles really hangs in the pocket well. And unflappable is the word that, you know, Frank uses. You know, if it was, I don't know if I said this on Monday, but if it wasn't Phil Rivers, Nick Foles would be the Colts quarterback. Yeah, you did. You know, I mean, it's something that Frank Reich really thinks highly of him. Um, and Frank was gushing just about he's a magician with the ball and this and that. And, I mean, I I think you'd rather – I know a lot of people would say I'd rather face Mitchell Trubisky just because, like, he is this up and down. He's not the franchise quarterback, this and that. But I just feel like you have to have an advantage with Frank knowing Nick Foles so well. Like, there's got to be a – here you go, Eberflus – Strengths and weaknesses of this quarterback. Right. So I, I think that is to your advantage, but I guess a little bit more of a deep ball. Obviously, again, the RPO stuff. Um, and I think just in general, Foles is probably the better thrower. Trubisky a little bit better mm-hmm. with his feet. This one comes from James. With what we expected to be our two and three receivers down for extended time, how do you see the team addressing this very real blow? You know, we kind of touched on it earlier, James, but Obviously, T.Y. is going to play a whole lot. Pascal's going to play a whole lot. And then it's like, okay, what are you doing there mm-hmm. at three and four? You know, Reese Fountain certainly showed you something last week. And from a body type standpoint, he's a legit 6'2 and north of 200 pounds. And Desmond Patman is built like Michael Pittman from a frame standpoint, height and weight at least. But, again, has never played an NFL game. So, you know, I could see Fountain's role expanding – a decent amount, but man, I, I kind of like calling up Marcus Johnson. You know, we'll, we'll see where he's at health wise and whatnot. And yeah, I, I tend to side with that and then um, using those tight ends as well. Jordy wants to know is it crazy to say this offense now runs through Mo Alley Cox? 
Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That is an absurd statement uh, to make. Molly Cox has had a really nice start to the season, but to say that this offense runs through a tight end, uh, boy, I love tight ends, but sh- yeah, I, I don't think that is the case. Uh, again, Mo has played really, really well, and I don't want this to come off as a slight on him at all, but this offense runs through their offensive line, and really, Phillip has spread it around a whole lot. You know, Mo is not like it's not like he's been crazy heavily targeted. Obviously, he's your leading receiver right now, but you know he's only playing a little bit over fifty percent of your snaps. Mm-hmm. So, it's a very balanced passing attack from a target standpoint. Mo has produced really well, but uh, yeah, that is an absurd statement. Is there any word of any preseason IR designations, Day or Burton specifically, that will be coming off of IR now that we are through week three? Matt wants to know. Yeah, that's a good question, Matt. Uh, As of this recording, Sheldon Day practiced yesterday, as did Trey Burton. They won't appear on an injury report because they aren't on 53-man roster. They're still on the IR. And basically what you have is you have this 21-day window to activate them or put them on IR for the rest of the year. I can't see Sheldon Day playing on Sunday. I mean, hell, he's been out since. Missed all the full padded sessions in right. camp, so I just can't see him. Nor it's like, are you in some dire need to have a backup defensive tackle in there? I, I like Sheldon Day, but I just don't think you need to rush that. Uh, Burton is probably the one that I'm a little bit more up in the air about, and, and it's twofold with Burton. One, it's you know, lesser extent injury-wise. It was always kind of hovering around two to three games. You felt like he was going to miss. You gotta think he wants to play against his former team. Yeah. I mean, that's gotta be eating at him. They they flat out cut him. You know, same thing with Xavier Rhodes chirping at that Minnesota sideline mm-hmm. in week two. Having said that, he admittedly rushed back to play week one last year. And I feel like that's gotta be in the back of his mind as well, given the injury history he's had over the last twelve months. So um if and when, which is probably more of a win, the Colts make these moves, uh they will have to make some moves off their 53-man roster. But, um, yeah, if I'm going to guess, Burton better chance than Day, but I'm still not guaranteeing myself that Burton plays on Sunday. Louisiana guy who's a big fan from Mansfield, Louisiana, asked, I know it's too too early for this question, but just curious, with the way Aaron Rodgers looks Sunday night and Lamar Jackson being Lamar Jackson, with the way our defense is played, how do you think we will match up with both teams? Sunday's game against the Jets had me worried due to us always making the joke team look like a Super Bowl contender early on, even though we won the game. You know, I thought Jackson would be the um, easier matchup of the two, you know, just given this all, given this defense and how um, it's really predicated on speed, run and strike, mm-hmm. all of those things. But then I watch the team try and tackle Sam Darnold, and I'm like, oh, God. You imagine watching them try and tackle Valid. Lamar Jackson. Now, totally different offense, what you're going to prepare for. I mean, I, I haven't watched Baltimore a ton, but just watching them on Monday night, it was, it was another reminder of just how unique that offensive scheme is around the NFL. And, you know, to a degree, Kansas City showed you a blueprint um, to being successful and whatnot. And Kansas City's had great success against Baltimore. So, um it's just, it's got to be, and we've seen this, but it's got to be two totally different game plans. Mm-hmm. Like, that seems so obvious, but it's an, it's a must that you look differently. Against Baltimore, are you playing more linebackers? Is that Anthony Walker playing a little bit more than he has right now, and he's kind of filling that middle option, if you will, 
and then it's Okariki and Leonard still on the outside to give you more of the pursuit and perimeter stuff, and you know Kenny Moore, of course, as well. So, uh, and then when you get when you, when you get to Green Bay, it's yeah, just pray. I mean, <laughs> what Aaron Rodgers did on Sunday night, what he's done this season. I mean, it's revenge tour in full effect. Yeah. This one comes from K Dizzle, which I just always assume is your burner account. <laughs> <laughs> Are the Colts going to get national attention for their defense? Well, I, I it's early. Uh, I always ask this about national attention. It's it's funny to me. It's like, do they need it? Mm-hmm. I mean, do I get it? We all want our team to be talked about on a scene like that. But I'm just like, did anybody see the Pacers on the front of GQ and how that turned out? Right. I I don't know. It's just for Colts and Pacers teams. I feel like national attention has not turned out very well. Um, and I don't know. I do feel like listening back to Greg Gumble and pray for us that had to listen to that and Trent Green on Sunday. I mean, they frequently mentioned the Colts are playing. Or was it Kevin Harlan? I think it was Harlan. It's Greg Gumble this Sunday. Um, they frequently mentioned the Colts are the top-ranked defense in the NFL. But I also think you throw in the caveat of the offenses that you've played. And I don't know. Is there national attention on any defense right now, really? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't know. I don't really hear, like... And again, I don't really watch a lot of these shows and whatnot, so I'm probably the wrong person to ask for this. But you got to just, I think, the measuring stick, the barometer, it'll be different now moving forward. And I think that's when you'll see more of that kind of, okay, this is what we think of the Colts on a national scale. This question, from, this question comes from Country Boy Eddie. Is Rigoberto actually the defense's MVP these last two weeks? Chris, I think he's been the best player on this football team in the first three games of the season. I would agree with you. Um, you know, I I think he has played his position the best of really anybody. And, and I know that, of course, people disagree with that. But what he's able to do, controlling field position in multiple ways, his kickoffs, the pooch punts, the little short kick he had after the safety. I mean, the average drive start numbers that I've talked about on these Monday podcasts, they are incredible. He is such a weapon. Uh, I, I wrote something on Tuesday and mentioned a note. Pat McAfee just gushed mm-hmm. about what Rigoberto can do. And you know, huge credit to Tom McMahon, the old special teams coordinator, for finding him after McAfee retired. Yeah. And um just an unbelievable find of a kid that, you know, was you know, played in Hawaii, didn't have like unbelievable numbers by any means, but has certainly come here and filled some really important shoes because Pat McAfee wasn't all pro caliber. Or wasn't all pro point point blank. This one's from Mike, who loves the podcast. Appreciate it, Mike. He wants to know, am I the only one who thinks Jordan Wilkins looked better, and he stresses better, at running back than Taylor? Yeah, I mean, this is a popular question that we get. I I think as the workload plays out, things would even out. I know that right now, yards per carry, I do think Taylor is like, I don't know, probably like a half yard behind Wilkins, which is notable, certainly. Um, But... Again, I think Taylor handling that workload, it's different t- different kind of game flow. I mean, Wilkins' yards often come in kind of mop-up time. And I like Wilkins, but but I, I don't think this is all of a sudden Jordan Wilkins should be playing over Jonathan Taylor. I, I just don't think that. Um, I think you would start to see kind of, again, water finding its level if Wilkins was getting all the carries in the first half that a guy like Taylor or even Marlon Mack gets. But... I don't want that to be looked at as just kind of a knock on Wilkins. He still brings value to this team. Frank Reich's mentioned he's going to factor into kind of rotate into mm-hmm. series, which I think is smart. 
Um, and the Colts have one of the better third running backs, if you will, I guess fourth if Marlon Mack's healthy in the entire league. Yeah. So it's a great luxury to have, but I still think Jordan Jonathan Taylor should be viewed as the bell cow. Ray Ray wants to know if the Colts are back on track for 40 takeaways after the last two games. No, no, I I, I can't go there. I mean, no no turnovers in week one. That obviously hurts you. Uh, six the last two weeks, which is incredible. Yes. Um. So what's that? Six and three 32 games. Thirty two. Yeah. The... They're on pace for thirty two. So yeah, I uh, I I can't go there. This one comes from Gabo. After what we saw the last three weeks, what's your record prediction now for the Colts? Yeah, I'm not wavering off of the ten and six line. Yeah, you know nothing that I've seen so far would get me to totally shift off that. I do think Sunday is really important, Chris. In that, I feel like if you get Sunday five and two after that Lions game, should be the floor mm-hmm. for you. Because think about it: if you win Sunday, now you're three and one. That means you go to Cleveland, home to Cincinnati, bye week at Detroit. Right. Before you get to the gauntlet yeah. of, you know, Baltimore, Tennessee, Green Bay, et cetera. So, I mean, again, if you're three and one, you can't tell me Cleveland, Cincinnati, Detroit, you can't go two and one at worst against those teams. Now, if you lose, now you're three and two, or excuse me, now you're two and two, and there's just a lot of pressure on you to win those three games. I think you'd be favored in all three of them, but still, it's just not the pressure that you want to have. So Sunday is big for more of that January measuring stick, but also, I mean, and every game is big. You can you can number crunch however you want, but with this schedule specifically, it would alleviate a little bit of the pressure you have mm-hmm. for these next three games. Tanner wants to go back to Rigoberto. Four out of his six punts this season are inside of the 20. Feels like he needs to be noticed more in his humble opinion. You know, Tanner, I thought he should have been a Pro Bowler a couple years ago. I, I thought he was one of the biggest snubs the Colts had. Uh, he is a stud. And Pat McAfee, for as much as we probably only see the sense of humor from McAfee, the guy studies kickers mm-hmm. and knows full well what he's talking about. So I hold his opinion in very high regard. Of And he was very descriptive in how he described how talented Sanchez is as a punter and a kickoff specialist as well. So, yeah, I mean, he's a, he's a stud. He's one of the Colts' better players. This one's from Mitchell. Kevin, he's torn and has a two-part question. One, I love Moali Cox and how he's played, but enjoy Doyle being great, and I'm excited for Trey Burton, who I feel should be number one in my heart. Two, this past draft says the Packers, this past draft, say the Packers drafted Pittman instead of Jordan Love. Who do the Colts pick at 34? Ooh couple good ones here uh one i i will say don't be torn <laughs> you know welcome it <laughs> right the more tight ends the, the the merrier i mean this isn't you know you aren't proposing here and you're locking yourself up with one woman one man the rest of your life here mitchell i mean come on that you can play play them all <laughs> this is frank reich no one loves to play tight ends more so and it's needed in this offense yeah. right now as we talked about earlier the, the second one, yeah, you, you just love these scenarios. Okay, so if Pittman went to the Packers instead of Jordan Love, who do the Colts draft? Well, I mean, is Jordan Love still on the if board he's at 34? Still there, yeah, right. <laughs> that's, that's something to think about. Um, I know the Colts really like T. Higgins. He went the pick before. Yeah. You know, Cincinnati's pick right there to start off the, uh, the second round. Was it too early for Jonathan Taylor? I mean – you took him seven picks later, so probably not. Yeah. You know, if he's good at 41, is he good at 34? Um, I think LaVisca Chenault, another guy that they liked, 
obviously we've seen him kind of mm-hmm. impact a little bit early as well. I'll go with Chenault. Okay. Jason and Brian both wanted to touch on the kicking game. One, how many more makeable kicks are the Colts going to allow Blankenship to miss before he's cut? He doesn't have the cred that Vinny had. Two, <laughs> I love this one. Notre Dame moved up. Let's two, go with let's one. Let's go first. one first. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Let, let, let's go with one because I don't. I think we need to keep it in perspective here. I mean, Vinny missed. What was it fourteen kicks last year? Yeah, and like somewhere, yeah. We are talking shanks. We are talking, from what you've told me, you on the golf course. Very much me on the golf course. Yeah. So I mean, nothing against your your, your golf game. Oh, I don't my golf game's awful. To be calling you out, no. but this is just what you've relayed yes. to me. Um, I think Blankenship's makes have all looked really solid. Yes, two off the upright, and people will say, well, a miss is a miss. Yes, but, like, this is an undrafted rookie that is healthy. Vinatieri was hurt. The misses looked terrible. The makes sometimes were like, oh, my gosh, did it go in? I didn't even look. Mm-hmm. I couldn't look. Yeah. Just tell me if it went in or not. Uh, and he was 47. And to your point back about McAfee, McAfee, after, I believe, game one, tweeted out, man, the ball comes off this kid's foot really well. Right, right. So I'm not, you know, I am watching it. I have mentioned the Colts should be watching it. They clearly are. They've protected the kicker on the practice squad, Matt Gay, the last couple of weeks. So clearly they are, as they should, keeping a close eye on it. But, um, no, I, I, I'm giving Blankenship a nice nice leash right now. Yeah, if he misses two on Sunday and two the next Sunday, sure, then you really got to look into it. But 8 of 10 right now, perfect on extra points, That's that's decent. Yeah. Good by me. The second one's more toward your heart, Kevin. Notre Dame moved up two spots without playing to number five. Should the plan be to have positive tests each week to ensure a playoff spot? Oh, come on, Jason. Come on. (laughs) No, no. I need my Irish fix. I do. I want to watch them. And it does seem like, obviously, a ton of positive tests and guys in contact tracing and all that. But it does seem like they're going to practice this weekend, and uh, or practice yesterday, actually, and uh, get ready for Florida State a week from Saturday. This is a good football team. Come on. I will not take Jason's <laughs> criticism by any means for the Irish. Kevin, you, you know full well Notre Dame could go like 3-8, and eight and every year they're going to be in the top that, 10. That is just a, such a ludicrous statement. We'll save that <laughs> argument for the offseason. Ludicrous. Chris Presley pissing me off at 9-01 Thursday morning. This one's from Molko. Do you seem high? You, seem, you don't seem high on Eason, hypothetically, but if Eason had stayed one more year in college and become a top 15 pick like some suggested – would you have been happy for the Colts to have drafted him? I think Jordan Love will be a bust. Boy, I disagree on the I don't seem high on Eason call out. I, To be frank, I think, especially when I talk to my colleagues, I'm much more intrigued by Eason than a lot of them are. I mean, I've watched that film in Washington, and I'm like, wow, you can clearly see why people thought first round. You can also clearly see he needs some definite development. Yeah. And, you know, the whole caveat here of if Eason had, had stayed one more year, well, holy shit, I mean, that's a totally different story. If Joe Burrow doesn't come out last year, he's uh, or if he comes out before last season, he probably doesn't even get drafted. Yeah. One more year can be a huge difference in college football, especially at that position, especially for a guy like Eason who hadn't started in 2017 or 2018 for an entire season. So, yeah, that, I think this is just a ludicrous comment, to be frank. Um, if you put 12 more games on him, film, non-red jersey, that's huge. And that's my biggest question about him in the NFL. 
Yeah. It's where is he going to get that development in games? Um, it may, yeah, this it, is – yeah, I, I can't – and I guess on this topic, I didn't slide it in here, but JJ uh, DM'd me about – she's hesitant about Chris Ballard's willingness to trade up for a quarterback. She doesn't feel like – likes draft picks too much, doesn't think he would do that. And, and I would disagree with that, JJ. Um I think deep down, Ballard gets it. He loves draft picks, but he knows that position. And hell, he was a part of Kansas City for several months in the scouting process of a Patrick Mahomes. And they obviously right. moved up from, you know, whatever, 27 to 10, I think it was, in that 2017 draft. So I, I don't think Ballard would be a. It's going to take the right quarterback, which that's a whole different argument that we'll save for the offseason. But I don't think he'd be hesitant to move up. Max asks, who's more important to the overall success of this team, Quentin Nelson or DeForest Buckner? Oh, I think it's Buckner. Yeah. And I know, again, people will probably disagree with me because we're enamored with Yeah. Honest, to be frank, Quentin Nelson, first first three weeks, hasn't been Quentin Nelson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, damn good football player. <laughs> like, don't, don't get me wrong. But his standard, that's a different standard. And he hasn't been there. But it just goes the impactfulness of that position. You know, Buckner is just that disrupting force impacting every level of your defense. You don't have anywhere close to him on the roster. Obviously, you have no other guard. That's like Nelson. But I look at it like this, Chris. If you're playing left guard for me, I've got Ryan Kelly, the 18th overall pick, to help you. I've got Anthony Costanza to help you. If you take Buckner off the field, you just, I mean, you know, Grover Stewart and Justin Houston won't be able to help mm-hmm. that three technique as much as you would um You'd see. So I just think there's no, no one else like him. It, it is interesting these last two weeks, Chris, to see, speaking kind of defense-wise, how much Bobby Okariki's outsnapped Anthony Walker. Oh, yeah. These last two weeks. It is astronomical. I mean, north of 80% Okariki snap-wise. And that's something I'm definitely watching yeah. moving forward. This one's from JP. Hey, Kev, with the salaries of the quarterbacks quickly approaching $50 million a season, Will we start to see more teams going after young quarterbacks on rookie deals and letting big-money quarterbacks hit free agency? Doesn't seem to be working out for quarterbacks like Wentz, Ryan, Goff, etc. Yeah, I mean, I get the question, but you also got to look at it in a couple of ways. There are certainly big-money quarterbacks that are damn good football players and Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes. and I mean, if you've got the guy, you're going to be just okay mm-hmm. and to be fair I mean how could you not give Jared Goff a second contract or Carson Wentz a second contract after what they did and getting those teams helping those teams get to Super Bowls uh so when you invest that high of a pick and you find some sort of success I can't afford to take that risk again like it's already difficult to hit on a quarterback on a rookie deal like Goff like wins. Are they home runs? Clearly not. But they showed you enough that you have to, or else it's a waste of a high draft pick. If you're just going to say, all right, rookie deal's done, we're we're moving on, and you're a 10-6 and six football team, okay, how are you going to go find the next quarterback? Mm-hmm. What if the next quarterback becomes Mayfield, Rosen? Now you're screwed. So, like, it's just it's hard to find that guy in the first place. It's really hard to go and do it again. So I don't think that just because quarterback salaries are rising or whatnot, you just you, you got to make sure that you 
have the right guy, and I felt like Wentz and Goff, and even Matt Ryan. I mean, you would sign up for a Matt Ryan career for the next ten years out of the Colts quarterback. Mm-hmm. You would definitely do that. Um, you just you got you got to get creative with your cap. You got to hit on draft picks that are on rookie deals, and uh, that position matters too much for me to say. Ah, uh, yeah, you got us to a Super Bowl in your rookie deal, but we're gonna move on. This next one's from IU Fan in Texas. This came earlier in the week, and jokingly, I'm going to say that this was the jinx. Haven't heard much on the COVID front from any teams. Have you heard of any players testing positive lately? Seems mum is the word. Yeah. Um, obviously, Vikings-Titans is a very fluid situation right now. Um, you know, I find it interesting, Chris, that so far, I don't think any of the players that have tested positive are in the same position group. You know, it's a long snapper, it's a practice squad tight end, it's a linebacker, and it's a D-tackle. You would think, you know, that was kind of the fear of like, oh my gosh, what if your whole O-line goes down, you know, in in a week? So that's interesting to me. Now, you did have that linebacker's coach test positive initially, and now we saw yesterday um, Correa test positive. So, uh, this sucks, obviously. Not ideal at all, but... um. You're going to have to trudge forward. The NFL is just, you can't play doubleheaders. You can't get too finicky with your schedule. Mm -hmm. Uh, Monday night, Tuesday, I mean, we're recording this again early Thursday. Today is a huge day to see what these tests look like. Um, And and I will say, I mean, the Colts haven't had a positive test in two months. But, you know, I just think it's a constant reminder of you have to to be so cognizant of at any point shit can hit the fan. Yeah. And, you know, Colts players, are you always wearing your mask? Are you hanging with families after the game? Like, it sucks, but this is the reality of it. Major League Baseball was able to really steady the ship. Obviously, the NBA, just incredible what they did with their bubble. Um, I, I think as long as you can maintain that daily testing, and, and uh, I think something's got to be done on game day, as well a little bit more than they're currently doing. I think we'll be okay here, but you just hate to see it. Sam wants to know if you were able to read the Pat McAfee story on The Athletic, and was there an, was there any player that was more fun to cover that you could have predicted he would explode like he has? I did read it, Sam. Bruce Feldman, great kind of oral history on Pat McAfee. Uh, I mean, I knew it. Probably eighty percent, ninety percent of that story, but still, it was great to hear some of those other anecdotes. And I mean, it's—I mean, personality-wise, everyone sees that at his core, Pat is a great, great human. I mean, he was really good to me um, when I worked for for uh, for the Colts, and certainly after him and I have have still kept in touch. And I felt like he never got enough credit for how good of a football player he was either. I mean, he was a freaking all-pro. Yeah. So, um, no, I mean, no one personality-wise. <laughs> you know, sure, there are some guys that may be a little bit more of a football-centric interview here or there, but Pat just had a great job of, again, establishing himself as a brand and then keeping it up post-play. I mean, the dude hasn't played in four years and yet is extremely relevant oh, yeah. right now. And so, yeah, he is a rare, rare breed and just unbelievable the sort of success that he's had. Just a businessman. Yeah. He's, he I mean, sees and hears he everything. Really smart guy. R- really gets it. Inquisitive. Yeah. Always trying to find out more. And, um, yeah, I mean, the Barstool thing doesn't work out, and boom, he still is 
college game day and Thursday night football and the FanDuel partnership that he has, you know, the Sirius, I think they're on Sirius, his show. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's one of a kind. No one no one even close to like him. Rodney says that's two solid performances from the secondary without Rock. Even if he be, even if he comes back and starts, has TJ Carey earned more rotational playing time? Rodney, it's a really good question. You know, Rock played over 90% of the snaps week one. He never came off the field last year. Um, now I will go back to something I said on Monday. You know, Xavier's gotten nicked up. Xavier Rhodes has gotten nicked up in each of these three games. Yep. So I think TJ Carey can help you out there. And TJ Carey's passer rating allowed is like absurdly low right now. So yeah, I am curious to see what you do playing time wise at that outside corner spot. You know, Xavier Rhodes deserves some credit, man. Last year, Chris, I think the completion percentage was over 80%. He allowed in coverage. Passer rating was like over 120. I mean, just numbers that would have opposing quarterbacks salivating to throw the ball at Xavier Rhodes. And this year, it's like 40% completion percentage. Passer rating's like 50. Obviously, the week one issues were there, but just really solid these last two weeks. And the playmaking, of course. So, um, you know, Xavier said when he signed here, you know, I remember asking him this question of what was wrong last year? And he was adamant. Look at the film. I was in position. I just struggled making plays at the moment of truth. Ball's in the air, 50-50. Who's coming out with it? He's made those plays. He has. The last two weeks. Wasn't in position week one. Week two and week three, in position more. Um, Hell, he did have pass interference week one. But you could argue he wasn't in position there, so I had to make up for it. Um, So, yeah. The just want to echo what we said on Monday, but really good from Xavier Rhodes in these past couple weeks. And I'm, you know, we'll, we'll get into this in three keys about planning for Allen Robinson and whatnot. This one's from Sam. What's your concern level with the offense and situational work, especially pinpointing third down and red zone? The Colts were better in the red zone Sunday, but three and ten on third down. Also, do you think the eventual return of Trey Burden helps fix the situational offense? especially in the red zone. Yes, Sam, I I definitely do. I think Burton is going to be a a key guy for you on third down and in the red zone. You know, I touched on this a little bit earlier, Chris, but I went back yesterday morning and watched every third down the Colts have had this season. And a couple takeaways stand out to me. One, their execution in short yardage has been horrendous. Not establishing the line of scrimmage at all. And and Frank said this yesterday. I think he was like, we're 0 for 4 on third and short. With this old line, we should be four for four. Yeah. Now, there's kind of some trends they do. They get into like third and four, third and five, and they run it, and then they try and hurry up to get to fourth down. And I feel like I know full well what they're going to do on fourth down. It's either the quick throw in the flat to Doyle or Allie Cox, or it's, you know, just try and run it behind that old line. It seems like those are kind of the two things. Week one, Phillip really targeted the slot a ton. Uh, on third down, had some success with it. They were 5 of 10, actually, in week one on third down. Now you don't have Campbell. He was the frequent guy, you know, in the slot yeah. in week one. I go back to what I said earlier about Pittman, not as that outside presence as well. So those are a couple things that I'm looking into. Um, yeah, I mean, you got to find T.Y. a little bit more. I think he's been targeted five times on third down, and one of those was kind of the throwaway screen when it was third and 72 a few weeks ago when you had that penalty <laughs> and strip sack. So it's got to get better. I, you know, Reich's history, like I've said, is great on third down. It pisses that staff off, as it should. 
But those are kind of a couple things of, okay, who's going to be the new outside guy? What can you get out of the slot? And you just got to block better in the short yardage. King wants to know, is Chicago a true test, or do we have to wait until Baltimore? I think it's a better test, certainly. But the true test, I would say, is much more the Baltimore, the Tennessee, the Green Bay, maybe even Pittsburgh as well. So this is a better test. This, this to me, is like – I think Chicago is a fringe playoff team. Yeah, I do too. Those first three teams you played, none of them are that. So it, it's a better test, but it's not the final by any means. This is, I don't know, mid midterm-ish. If we're going to stick yeah. down the educational <laughs> route, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's not even that, but – it's a test that I'm studying for. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not winging it. Right. Um, yeah. This question's from Jacoby's Burner. How does the emergence of Moali Cox impact Jack Doyle, more specifically further down the road when it's time to sign a new contract? I love Jack, but I've never seen him be as explosive as Mo has been the last two weeks. So true, but at the same time, just let's know what Jack Doyle is. Jack Doyle is not with this team having signed multiple contracts with multiple regimes because he's an explosive tight end. He's here because he's damn reliable, a great inline blocker and trustworthy. So I don't want this to seem like, Oh, just because Jack Doyle isn't catching 20 yard balls down the field that he's not needed in Mm -hmm. this offense. He is needed as Mo Ali Cox has shown himself to be pretty needed as well. So Jack signed for what the extension last year, late in the season, was three years. So this is year one, and then two years after that. um, Mo Alley, I want to say, is a restricted free agent. I'd have to look that up. But just turned 27, I mean, sign him too. You know, Trey Trey Burton's an unrestricted free agent. Maybe let him walk, you know, at that age. I I, I don't know. A lot will depend on how he plays this season. Um, I'm still a fan of, again, drafting a tight end. I, you know, again, Jack is getting up there in age. Mo... You know, whatever, 27, you're still very young, certainly in his football life. But um, and this, what tight end means to Frank Reich, the more the merrier. Right. Keep him around. Caden asks, with Jonathan Taylor and Hines being very productive in the backfield, what is it looking like for Matt coming back into a con- or coming into a contract here? Yeah, I mean, I still think with the injury, one year prove a deal. That makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. You know, you still got Wilkins, throw him in there as well. He's still under contract, but uh, yeah. This one's from Andrew. Would you rather win one Super Bowl with Rivers and then spend the next 10 years in QB limbo or underperform and draft a quarterback of the future with the possibility of sustained success? Success. Oh, boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> read this. Read this again. Would you rather win one Super Bowl with Rivers and then spend the next 10 years in quarterback limbo or underperform and draft a quarterback of the future with the possibility of success? Su- su- Stained success. I cannot say that back to you. Yeah, that. it's early, man. The coffee has, hasn't hasn't hit yet. Um, sustained success. Saying that three times fast is, <laughs> just sounds miserable. Uh, quarterback limbo is hell. It's like watching the debate, having a baby with oh, watching goodness. the Reds run the bases. I mean, that's literally <laughs> what quarterback limbo is. So, I, <laughs> you know, um, when I see draft the quarterback of the future with the possibility of sustained success. I I'm a risky better. I will bet on that. I, I know I'm giving up a Super Bowl that's like handed to me, but 10 years is a lot of time, man. And I can't be quarterback limbo for 10 years. I can't. No, 
I can't do it. I can't do it. You know, I've already started to get some gray hair. I can't. I just can't do that. Um, and when you, again, when you say sustained success, to me that says at least one Super Bowl. You're definitely in the mix every right, year. Right, right. Yeah. Least, and I will take my chances. Yeah. If I'm if I'm Seattle, whatever, I mean, I don't know. Who else you want to throw in there? Pittsburgh? Uh, New yeah, England? I will take my my chances there. If I don't have to worry about that spot for 10 years, oh, oh man, I'm enjoying my offseason, bro. I am I am enjoying it. And uh, if I'm not worrying about quarterback for a decade, I'm playing a lot of golf, <laughs> and I'm figuring out how to build the rest of that roster. Yeah. This one's from Aaron. Are you really confident that Blankenship can hit from 50 or longer to win it with no time? At this point, I am not at, I am not, and hope that he proves me wrong. Follow up, what's really going on with Rock? So Rock's back to practice. We've seen that. Um, I, you know, I haven't looked too much into it. I was told that it, it's a, I, it's awkward. I'll just say that. Okay. Not appendicitis, but just awkward. So we'll just kind of leave it at that. Um, confident blank and ship can hit from 50 yards at the buzzer. I mean, shit. Besides Justin Tucker, who are you confident with in the NFL kicking from freaking 50 at the buzzer? Yeah. Yeah, you know, we watched Bucker miss a few on Monday night, mm-hmm. just killing the over early on in that game. <laughs> um, I mean, selfishly, I would like to have seen Blankenship kick some yeah. from north of 50 just early in the year in these meaningless games in the second half. You know, we up two scores. Let's yeah, trot them out there from 52. Colts just haven't really been in those positions. Um, so, sure, I yeah, I mean, hell, I'd be <laughs> – I don't know if I'm confident in Blankenship kicking from 45. At the buzzer. Like, it's just a rookie kicker. You know, I mean, you have no idea. We watched Chase McLaughlin shank one like none other last year in that Monday nighter when he was with San Francisco after making one to send it in overtime. So, life as a kicker. Keandre says, our pass D has been a force while we've racked up picks. How much credit goes to DeForest Buckner in the defensive line? Additionally, Nagy runs a variation of West Coast. What's the likelihood we'll go man with our DBs like we did with Kansas City? considering the improved secondary and Blackman's versatility. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, I, I man across the board makes sense to a degree, but then I also think Allen Robinson is so much different than their other wideouts. You know, do you more bracket him, have, have a plan? You know, when they had Thielen in week two, I mean, heavy double coverage on third down in the red zone. Mm-hmm. I'd probably like to see that with um, Robinson. Uh, yeah, I mean, the D-line, Buck, great, but I want to give some credit to the coverages. You know, when I talked this offseason, I didn't have faith in the scheme changing. Mm-hmm. So it was more so of the D-line's got to disrupt the timing. But honestly, I think you've gotten more out of your coverage. I, I, Yeah, the interior D-line, you know, Autry and Buckner have made plays, but the consistency of the rush I still think can improve a little bit. I might be nitpicking. I know they're <laughs> Colts lead the league in sacks, so I should probably just shut up. But I do think the consistency of the hurries could get a little better. This is from Matthew. If the Colts are in solid playoff position at the upcoming trade deadline, what's the one spot you'd want to upgrade, and at what would you be willing to give up for that asset? Man, I just – I'd like to keep them, but I'll play along. Nothing higher than a fourth-round pick. Wide out, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe corner if you had an injury or something there. O-line injury as well. But, yeah, wide out right now. Jeffrey says game rosters have changed this year. Teams are able to activate players from the practice squad, which he, which he is not mistaken. One, 
Can you explain the new rule to who have the Colts activated four games from the practice squad? So this is complicated. I'll try to make it sound somewhat normal. I think I have this right. So normally you dress 46 off a 53-man roster. Okay. This year they increased the practice squad to 16. Mm -hmm. You could dress 48 on game day. That means you have to have eight offensive linemen active, though, if you do the 48. Okay. You can bring up, I think it's a practice squad guy, two times a year, and he can go back to your practice squad without clearing waivers. So that's where you get into a little gamesmanship. Mm -hmm. of the Colts haven't used many of these practice squad guys to bring up because who knows, you could be in a dire injury situation later in the year and, you know, you really need yeah. to bring up those practice squad guys. So I think Farrard Green was one of them. You did that when you had the Doyle injury. But I really think that might be it. I mean, the Colts have really been healthy on the inactive list. I mean, think back to their inactives last week. Eason, healthy. Uh, Eli Anku, or whatever his name is, the D-tackle, healthy. Patman, healthy. Rock, obviously hurt. Um, EJ Speed's been a healthy and active at times. Great special teams play from him the mm -hmm. other day. But, uh, so, yeah, I mean, they've been pretty healthy. Having the short-term IR is huge. Matthew Adams, oh, yeah. see you for three weeks. Yeah. Michael Pittman, maybe later this week, see you for three weeks. You know, it's it's, it's a huge advantage. MTS, this is from MTS. Seems like the Colts have missed on wideouts the last couple of years. Do you agree, or is it too soon to call? It says, I would say that only because you see other teams and rookies in their second year that just looked incredible, and ours look a bit underwhelmed or injured. Well, I would say a lot underwhelmed and injured when you compare them to DK Metcalf and um, – uh, what's his name? AJ Brown from the Titans mm -hmm. and Terry McLaurin and yeah. whatnot. Schechter's tweeting, hearing that Monday is off the table for Steelers Titans. So is it Tuesday? Man, then you get into the competitive advantage stuff. Right. Oof. I could I could go for some Tuesday night football though. Um, yeah, I mean the wideouts have underperformed. You know, it, it's tough for me though. Paris Campbell, no injury history in college. Mm -hmm. Michael Pittman, no injury. And, and look, Michael Pittman's got a three week injury, two week injury, like. Let's not freak out too much about it. But, yes, the Colts have missed on wideouts, and it it's a previous regime too. Like Moncrief, Dorsett, and now you've struggled here, so it's got to change. Um, I I still think it's a little too soon, but, man, the Campbell injury, man. I mean, the dude's had now f four surgeries in a year? Yeah. God. Brad, Dustin, and Ross all have similar questions regarding Jacob Eason, and if you think he will be active at all this year. Is that Ross Lubbers? He doesn't usually chime in with questions. <laughs> Interesting, Ross. He must be super bored if he's throwing in a question. Uh, Eason activated? Yes. I, I, I can't see it. You know, as much as I'd like to see it, it's just it goes back to what we talked about on Monday. You imagine if he had a slew of injuries at a position – and you dressed your third quarterback, right. and all of a sudden, you know, Luke Rhodes was playing safety. Or I don't know, you know <laughs> something crazy. Yeah, right. Um, I wish, I wish. Playoff teams just don't put the freshmen in, <laughs> you know, to put it kind of in college terms mm -hmm. a little bit. So, And I don't know, maybe it's a little bit of, all right, got to keep Jacoby active, take some snaps. You never know, which, yeah, I can't totally disagree with. Parker wants to talk about what you touched on earlier with John Ross being a healthy scratch. What are your thoughts of trying to get him as a replacement for Paris Campbell? You know, it, it's an interesting thought. Uh, 
certainly even the AJ Green thing, it seems to make sense for both teams. Ross has been that healthy scratch, and um, but I also feel like he's like an ounce away from being cut. <laughs> so do you want to waste you know a draft pick? Yeah, with that, but um, yeah, I don't know what the Colts think of John Ross in that draft. That was the Hooker draft, if I'm not mistaken, I think. So he, you know, was taken just a few picks earlier than that. But um, yeah, I mean, it's something to look into. It's hard because you know they played Doolin so much last week, Chris, and I get that he has the speed and whatnot. But you know, playing at Malone—that was the college you went to, not Carl. Um, <laughs> it's just different. Yeah. So you, you yeah, I, I would, I, I'd look into it. This one's from Wyatt, and stick with me here, Kev. Okay. Jumping ahead to the 2022 season, let's stipulate the following hypotheticals. I can't even get to November. (laughs) Jonathan Taylor, Michael Pittman, and Julian Blackman are all three playing at or near a Pro Bowl level. During the 2021 season, Jacob Beeson has stepped into the starting quarterback role and is now playing lights out. Most of the rest of Bowers' 2020 draft class is still on the roster and are solid role players. Here's the question. Giving these caveats, does the 2020 class now surpass Bowers' 2018 draft as the greatest haul since the team has moved to Indy. Why or why not? Hmm. Hmm, hmm, hmm. This will make you think. Yes. Man, that's a paragraph. <laughs> Another Titans player tested positive, so now the game is will not be played week four. Wow. It seemed like their schedules matched up, like the Ravens mm-hmm. some had a bye week that kind of pushed you later in the season and whatnot. Okay. Um, boy, this is a lot. Uh, again, 2022 seems light years away, but if Easton is playing lights out, boy, that's tough. quarterback is such the outlier. I mean, Nelson and Leonard are, are Hall of Famers, literally. Right. I mean, through two seasons, they are Hall of Famers. Um, so... Having said that, he's only going with Taylor, Pittman, and Blackman at you know near Pro Bowl level, which is obviously great. But um, I think quarterbacks a difference for me, man. I I just think if your quarterback's playing lights out, that draft means more. Yeah. It, it it means more. I don't know if it's the greatest haul, but if you have a lights out QB then I don't have to worry about that, and I'm still getting some Pro Bowlers as well. That means more than a guard and a linebacker in the mm-hmm. Hall of Fame. Yeah. but And, again, it's nothing against you know, Nelson or Leonard, but just quarterback means that. This question is from Kevin. Do you see the, the Colts packaging a pick with Anthony Walker in a trade to upgrade either defensive end or wide receiver? Should the Colts sign Antonio Brown? He could be a huge. He could be huge for us at the end of the season. Uh, you better chance I play wide out this year than Antonio Brown plays wide out for the Colts. And he's suspended eight games once he comes back regardless, right? I like keep on forgetting. I just assume that he's suspended forever. I just I, it seems like every it's like, oh, here's four games, here's eight games. Uh packaging a pick with Walker, no. It, it, he just you're one injury away from Leonard or Okariki to all of a sudden Walker's needing to play ninety eight percent of snaps and he knows this defense better than anybody. Right. So I get it that he's not playing a whole lot right now, but no, I'm not doing that. Latros has a player ever complained about Colts management like Ebron, even different <laughs> regimes. Cromartie had some beef, but that seemed warranted. Yeah, and Cromartie's beef obviously was kneeling, kneeling re- related. Yes. Uh, Ebron's beef is more playing time and whatnot. 
Yeah, I, I don't know. I can't really recall. Because you got to be kind of good to complain. Mm-hmm. If you want, if you suck and you whine, no one listens. I mean, Ebron was kind of good. So I don't know. Did Trent ever play? Or ever ever play? It was probably a good question too. Did Trent ever complain? I he had nothing to complain about. Gosh. Last question comes from JJ. Based on what you know and observe, do you think the Colts make many adjustments on offense or defense during the game or at halftime? My sense is they stick with the original plan, but it's hard to tell watching from TV. No, I mean, they, they definitely make some some adjustments. I don't think it's gargantuan by any means, but I think it's definitely there. It's a must. Um, you're not overhauling things, but if you're not tweaking in-game, you're not surviving the NFL. And to go back to that earlier question, I, I don't know. I, I can't I can't recall anybody that, that has complained as much as Ebron. No. I mean, it's 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 wild. With the plat- Every week, man. With the platforms now, be ready I for know. it to happen more often than not. That's yeah, so true. All right, those are Twitter questions, Kevin. Let's jump into what we've been waiting for, the three keys to this weekend's game against the Chicago Bears. Here we go, guys. We're going to chop some wood, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna build, we're gonna build, build a monster. Uh, okay, uh, first, help, help at the skill positions. You know, you, you, you're banged up at wide out. Probably the best defense, definitely the best defense you've faced this season. Um, especially man, that D line. Yeah, got to stay out of those obvious passing situations. Akeem Hicks is one of the best defensive tackles mm-hmm. in football that no one talks about. Just massive. Um, so yeah, that's that's my first key. Second key is that plan for Allen Robinson. What we were talking about earlier. You know, Foles ain't making a bunch of plays with his feet. Their run game is. Ugh. I don't think their O line's great, but Robinson. I mean, ten catch for one twenty last week. I mean, that speaks for itself. So. The plan for him, do you shadow? You know, I'm always kind of curious about that. That'll be something. And then lastly, I think it's just simply finishing off a drive, finishing off games. The Bears have come back like none other. Yep. You know, we can make fun of them as much as we want for this 3-0 start, but they've come back in these games and put themselves in position, you know, to play 60 minutes, all those cliches. And really the Colts have had one game of game pressure on them. They haven't played a meaningful fourth quarter the last two weeks. So uh, finishing drives speaks for itself with a third down. And then obviously uh, what you have from a game pressure standpoint, um, that has to play into it as well. All right. So what's your prediction then? You know, Chris, um, before I say my prediction, I find this just wild. I'll, I'll put you on the spot here. Name the last Colts road victory. Oh, God. Should have been Tampa, wasn't. Um... Literally, I have had the same thought process that you have had. Like, I couldn't remember it. Tennessee? I don't know. I honestly don't know. Kansas City, Sunday night football last year. That's nearly a year ago. It'll be a year, it'll, like it'll, next Wednesday. It will be, yeah. You're right. It's um, it's crazy. I like. I didn't. I guess it just doesn't register in my mind as frequently as maybe other things. Six straight road losses. So I'm like, wow. Um, you need to start winning away from home. Uh, that goes without saying. So um, no fans. So it'll be no different. fans. But you know something about just I don't know. First first game without no fans this yeah. year for the Colts. You know, Jacksonville had fans and obviously Lucas Oil. So um, I think they get it done. I I don't I know I just don't have faith. Frank Reich versus Chuck. Come on now, I know Chuck might have better 
personnel, but you believe in Frank Reich much more as a coach. I think it helps that Philip Rivers has faced Chuck twice as a coordinator. That's something I didn't know. Uh, faced him last year and then did also back in 2011 when Chuck was in Baltimore. Okay. So um, I think the Colts get it done. A bit of a prove-it game, better measuring stick, all those things. Um, it's, it is probably the best wideout and the best rush group you face this season from D-line standpoint. But I will say Colts 24, Bears 23. Wow. Love it. Close one. Foles can't get it done. Hell, maybe the Bears will miss a kick late. Nothing new. Yeah. that's That falls in line with what they've been the last couple you of like years. You like Colts? Or are you going with Bears? I have no idea. I'm I'm staying off it. Okay. I can't even really predict it because I I don't necessarily know what this team is yet from the Colts. I like what I've seen the last couple of weeks. I don't know what the the Bears are yet. I think both fan bases don't necessarily know what they have. That's so spot on. I I'm just gonna stay off it, watch it, hope that we can get some pressure. Hope, like you said, that we can tear up a little bit of their defense. But who knows? Yeah, I mean the Colts schedule so far. As of tonight, we'll see what the Jets do in a game that we all can't wait to watch. Um, <laughs> none of those teams have beaten anyone else besides the Colts. Jacksonville beat the Colts, but Correct. they're 0-2 yep. the other two games. Obviously, the Jets are 0-3, and the Vikings are 0-3. I think the Bears' opponents have won just one game. The Lions beat the Cardinals. Correct. And the Giants are 0-3. And, Falcons. Uh, who'd they just The beat? Falcons. Falcons, yes. Duh. Um, fired Dan Quinn. Uh, so, yeah, prove it, like you said. Prove it, prove it, prove it. It'll be fun, 1 o'clock Sunday. Um, next week's podcast it might not be out until Tuesday morning. Chris and I will have to talk about that. Um, we got a little scheduling issue on Monday, so we'll have to sift through that. But uh, you know where to find me, KBO in 1070. Read our content, please, 1075thefan.com. Everybody have a great weekend. See you.